This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 11. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today I'm chatting with Mary Foster. This episode is packed with great info. We chat about Mary's work at a life resource center, how to respond to friends and family in unplanned pregnancy situations, how we can speak in a life-affirming way as moms, and also engaging in the abortion debate in a non-hostile way. We also chat in this episode about some of the difficult realities of motherhood and the sometimes sensitive topics of child sleep and feeding your baby. I so appreciated Mary's vulnerability, and I think many of you will, like me, (laughs) breathe a sigh of relief after this conversation. You are not alone in the difficulties of motherhood. Thanks for listening in. Here's my chat with Mary. Hi, Mary. Thanks so much for joining me today. Of course, it's our joy. And it's so fun to be here because you've invited me into your home and uh, we have your son here as well, which is awesome. And for all the moms listening, we'll have some familiar ambiance. <laughs> so, uh, with little ones running around. You can hear the coloring in the background. and Yeah, I love it. Coloring is like what my daughter is really into right now as well. So nice. um, we're visiting here in the Twin Cities and there is something called the Crayola Experience at the Mall of America. Have you guys been I've there? I've heard of it, but okay. we've never been. It's awesome. So when we lived here, we had a season pass. And um, so we're in town visiting and our season pass was still good. And so we nice. went yeah, <laughs> and Lucy loved it because she can like wrap her own crayons and you can create your own label and... So if anyone lives in the Twin Cities and hasn't been yet, I totally recommend. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it was a lot of fun. So she's, she's all about coloring. That's so great. Yeah. Did Lucy enjoy it when she was younger too? Because I was wondering like what age would be best for it. Not so much actually. I think it's something that she's kind of come into maybe when she was like two, two and a half. Okay, cool. um, Because Elijah's two now. Yeah, he just turned two yesterday. Yeah, that's right. So, um. Yeah, so this was probably about the age she started to get into cool. it. So That's good to know. Awesome. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about you and your family and what your life looks like right now? Sure. So I'm originally from Wisconsin, and my husband's originally from Texas. And we met in a roundabout way through an organization that we were both missionaries with, NET Ministries, stands for National Evangelization Teams. And um, that's kind of what both brought both of us to Minnesota independently. Mm-hmm. And so my husband's name is Jonathan, and we have um, two children, one out of the womb and one (laughs) in utero. So Elijah just turned two yesterday, and then we have a little baby who we will find out if it's a boy or a girl next, either the end of this week or next week. And um, yeah, so we're about 20 weeks, and so that is our family, and my husband works full-time as um, like an orientation trainer, so he works like in an HR department okay. at a company that puts all the meals on the planes at the airport. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, so he doesn't work actually <laughs> cool. for the airline, but it's like a contract company. So, okay. So, um, so yeah, so he works there, and then I work very part-time from home and nights and weekends um, for an organization, a nonprofit. And yeah, life has just been crazy, like in-laws and traveling and ER visits. And I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, we all know, like life is just always has unexpected turns, but there's a lot of joy in the midst of all of it. So 
that's a little bit about us. We've been, I've been more, uh, Jonathan and I have been married just under four years. Okay. So, great. Yeah, I love it. And um, so the part-time work that you do, uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? And, yes. And what that involves? Yeah, definitely. So I work for an organization called, we have two operating names. So okay. we have, um, we were founded under Woodbury Life Resource Center. And we also have another name that is Woodbury Options for Women. Oh, okay. So we're what a lot of people would call a crisis pregnancy center or like a pro-life center. Those are terms that get thrown around a lot. We don't typically use those terms to identify ourselves mm. uh, just because we see our mission is a lot bigger than what sometimes people assume mm. centers that, that people call that would do, if that makes sense. So, um, But so we are part of a, an affiliation of 36 different centers that like are under an umbrella organization which is called TLC Options for Women. So Total Life Care was the original name. They went through a name change. So TLC Options for Women. And they had asked all of the affiliates to consider a name change. So that's why we have two operating names. So we have Woodbury Options for Women to be part of that options umbrella. And then our original founding name is still dear to a lot of donors and sure. So so I work for them and I started about um a little over four years ago, and I was hired on as the youth outreach coordinator. Hmm. In my time there over the last four years, like I've filled in different roles and been with clients and the client advocate working like right along with our our men and women that come in. Um, but now that Elijah, after Elijah was born, I went back to just doing the youth outreach coordinator's position. Okay. So um, what that looks like is, so a lot of the centers. Um, like us, we do like free pregnant. So our services, we do free pregnancy tests, we do free STI tests, free ultrasounds, and then we also do material assistance for moms with children up to two years of age or dads too. Okay. But um, so basically, if a child doesn't have what they need to live life, like we help provide those material needs, um, and just because we have to have like a very focused mission because we're a very small nonprofit. We operate completely on donation, private wow. donation. Yeah, so we um so we just serve up to two years of age to like narrow in on that like giving kids the best foundation and like beginning that they can. Okay. So so those are services and a lot of centers have similar services to that. Um but when we were founded, so we we were originally an outreach of another center when Planned Parenthood came to Woodbury. Minnesota, which okay. is a suburb of St. Paul, Minneapolis, that about 15, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, just like exploded. And so Planned Parenthood was set up and, and the community wanted another option for similar services that wasn't um, Planned Parenthood's philosophy and, sure. and ideologies. And so, so we were founded um, to be that alternative option in the community. And But when our board and founders founded us, they really believed that you know, if we can reach people before they need our services, like how wonderful would it be to create a generation of people who are, you know, are not walking through our doors, you know, wow, don't yeah. need to be in, you know, don't need those services. And so kind of an analogy that we use a lot of time is if you're out camping in the woods and you hear people screaming for help and uh, you rush to the river and you see all these people drowning, like you can jump in and p- start pulling out people, but you realize like, I'm only saving a few people like I'm only helping a few people really and um and good job (laughs) um and so 
So really then like to step back and think like, okay, I'm not doing, I'm not doing as much as I want to. What, what if I go up river and figure out why these people are falling in? Oh yeah. And so we use that analogy to just explain why we do youth outreach. So mm. our youth outreach programming, um, we really believe that unplanned pregnancies, STIs, broken hearts, broken homes, abortion, all of these things are actually not like the main problem. Mm-hmm. They're symptoms of deeper problems. And those deeper problems are as as a culture, like we're not actually teaching young people when they're young um, what authentic love is and how that looks different than lust. Um, and also we're not teaching them um, just the value and the beauty of life like just really focusing on so yeah, so if we can go to you know young children and and specifically we focus on um, high school the most, but we have done some vacation Bible school stuff and like middle school. But if we can go to middle school, high school, college students and just kind of like inspire them for something more than they're not seeing in media or in their schools and sometimes even from their parents, like if we can inspire them to strive for something more um, in their relationships then maybe we can help them make decisions that will help them avoid these symptoms. Right. Yeah, I love what you're saying because I think when I hear of um, the Total Life Care Centers and Pregnancy Resource Centers, I think my immediate um, thoughts go to um, helping women, like you mentioned earlier, in crisis pregnancy situations. I yep. think that's a lot. what a lot of people... Um, assume so it's interesting to hear this youth outreach aspect of it as well um is that pretty common is that a new trend do you think in great question i'm not as familiar outside of the state okay um but for years we were the only center that was really focusing like time energy staffing and budget on it but in the last year and a half other centers in our affiliation have really been making it a priority which is great because i'm not the only one of my kind now sure um but that's really what made our center unique for so long but I'm really grateful that other board, like boards and other staffs are seeing the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has become a trend, at least here in the city, in, in Minnesota. Okay. So, That's great. Yeah. I love that. So Mary, what would you say are the challenges um, that people are facing who come into the center? That's a great question. I think the answer to that is could be really varied. Like some people just you know, don't have insurance and need free services. Some people really don't feel like there's anyone they can turn to Mm -hmm. um, to talk about their situation because maybe, you know, they were having an affair or they, you know, they know that the people in their lives would be disappointed that they were, had been being sexually active. Um, But I think the, like the underlying common occurrence is that, um, you know, they're in a situation that they weren't expecting, are seeking help in a situation where they know that the places they can turn are limited. Mm. Um, and so we see a lot of people just, you know, just recently we had a client who wasn't pregnant. She was just there for an STD test, but um, recently had found out that her um, boyfriend was cheating on her. You know, and so we see people that are like in emotionally distraught situations a lot and we always ask the question like what has brought you here now and there usually is is a reason that like this is the timing that they've decided to come or reach out um and and for a lot of clients like that is pregnancy you know that they find themselves in an unexpected pregnancy and they don't either know who to talk to or they um don't know where they can find their support and a lot of times we find that women who we're working with like they really do want to keep their baby 
but they're just so surrounded by um, fear and opinions and um, and they're really just looking for an objective um, place to process because I mean if you think about family and friends and you know the father of the baby like all those people are very like opinion like very invested in that person's life and like have very subjective reactions and subjective emotions and subjective opinions um whereas we can be someone that's a little more objective and like help them process through things and as an organization like it's part of our mission to just like alleviate the fear and the stress and the anxiety and any loneliness or feeling of being alone in the situation so that women can make a decision that they really in their heart want to make so that 10 years down the line they're not living with you know a regret that they knew at the t- even at the time it's not what they wanted you know so right. to try to then fr- that's why you know some people think that options for women is a deceitful term because like well you don't actually offer all the options and yeah no we don't refer for abortion we don't want people to have abortions and we don't perform abortions but we do you know we'll share with women like the reality of abortion Mm -hmm. and sometimes like we feel like we do give them more of an option um because we're not making any kind of money off of them Mm -hmm. whereas some other centers if if the woman chooses abortion they're making money off of that decision whereas like we don't we lose money (laughs) off of the decision for people to keep their children because we're going to be supporting them um which is like great because life is beautiful so but I don't know if that, that makes sense um, or if that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. And I see the value in that so much. Just even thinking, I mean, as as a human, of course, we have, like, emotions. And, like, when someone close to us um, maybe shares something, um, they're, they become pregnant in not ideal circumstances. It's easy to kind of let your emotions take over and respond Mm -hmm. and so what you were saying about being an objective place to Mm -hmm. help women process (coughs) and consider the option their options is just beautiful and I think there's such a need for that Mm -hmm. um so maybe you can talk a little bit about um if we are in that situation where there's a a friend or a family member um someone we know who is pregnant and not Mm -hmm. in ideal circumstances how can we um, offer support to to those women that's thank you for asking um, I think first and foremost um, affirming them for because the, affirming them for the things that they need to be affirmed for in, the, in that moment so like first of all their vulnerability mm-hmm. and their trust in you like the fact that they were willing to share and confide in you what they're going through um, just affirm them and, and let them know how much that honors you and like honors the relationship that you have with them um, and just let them know, like, obviously you care for, about them and you you want what's truly best for them. Um, and to the, to the best of our ability, because we are human and we have emotions, to, to like, think logically, to, like, use our intellect and our will um, to be calm and, and to try to use our intellect and will to not judge or, like, have those emotions that would come across as, as judgmental, mm-hmm. um, but to ask like a lot of open-ended questions like you know so affirm like um thank you so much for like sharing with me that says a lot about how you regard me in our relationship right you know how are you feeling about this so like really you know because they're telling you because they feel like they can turn towards you so to ask a lot of open-ended questions and really try to understand the position they're coming from because a lot of times going in with a client like 
you know, I'll see their paperwork and I'll make, you know, I'm a sinner. So I make these judgments. And then in the conversation, I'm like, wow, I'm so wrong, you know, so off from what they're really feeling and what they're really thinking. And so just ask a lot of open-ending questions and, and before you offer advice or opinions, maybe ask like, you know, well, you shared with me, um, and I have thoughts, but like, do you, are you interested in hearing what I think, you know? Oh, yeah. um, so to ask them if they want feedback, because they might just need somebody to listen right now. Sure. Um, and so if you offer your advice without being asked, and, and even that, like, even if they say, no, I don't want advice right now, they might come back later. And because they felt respected that you weren't just slamming things yeah. down their throat, um, they might they might be more open to listening to your advice when they're ready to hear it. Mm. Because the first stage is like, shock, you know, like I'm shock, I'm in shock. I'm kind of in denial. I don't know what I'm going to do. And they just need to process through their emotions. And then they can come back more logically and, like, think through things later. Sure. So I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, I'm just thinking about being, being if I were in the situation myself, and um, wanting to, like, um, acknowledge the baby in them. Um, but I don't know if, like, ah. congratulations is, like, the right way to say that. Um, do you have any, like, something that you would say? Yeah, that's a great... Um, that's a great question. I pro- we, we don't, at the center, we don't say congratulations. Uh, and I think depending on the relationship that you have with the person, like you can kind of just like pray for, dis- pray in the moment and, um, yeah. for discernment. And if that's what the Holy Spirit prompts you to say, then like give yourself permission to say it. Cause that yeah. might be what they need to hear. Mm. They need my, like some people need to hear people be excited about it, Yeah, you know, and be like, Oh, this isn't like a terrible thing that everyone's going to react horribly to. Um, however, we would typically, because uh, we're at the center and we don't have re- like already um, established relationships with those women, we wouldn't necessarily um, say that. However, like I could definitely see myself um, in relationships with friends saying um, something like, you know, like I know that this is on not ideal timing for you, I, and you know, and you're you're sharing with me that it's not ideal circumstances, and I still think it's great that like you're a mom yeah and like and for us who are moms to be able to share like I'm excited for you because yeah my life has changed because I'm a mom and like I couldn't even anticipate mm. how much joy being a mom was going to bring me you know mm. um and I even share with clients sometimes like before I knew in my head I wanted to be a mom um but I was scared out of my mind like yeah. even as a Christian mom you know like even as someone who knows that God has a plan for marriage that includes children. And I don't share that with our clients, but like me being that and knowing that, but I'll share with our clients. Like I was scared out of my mind to be a mom. And I I think that my personality prepares for a worst case scenario, which like when you're in a a situation like you, like you're going to do that. You're going to prepare a worst case. But like my life has been so blessed and so joyful and so much fun because I'm a mom and not that it's easy it's hard but so to share that too so like instead of for me I would just put it back on myself like sharing your personal experience because then it's not telling someone how they should feel it's telling them how you feel because of the news like I know this is a really hard time for you and like I can't even imagine what you must be experiencing or feeling and like want to be there for you and and because I'm a mom like I'm excited for you because yeah. so much um, good and so much joy has come in my life through that. So I don't know if that that's as helpful. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, yeah, that just, I, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes because I just think about my life as a mom. And um, yeah, I love that. Coming from our experience and being able to say, 
wow, I found so much joy in being a mom, and now you are going to get to experience, yeah. you know, the joy and also the struggles, but it is an exciting um, thing to have a child and to become a mother is beautiful, so yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, would you mind sharing some of maybe uh, your personal struggles and joys of, of motherhood? Yes. Yes, I, or I would not mind. <laughs> <laughs> I would not mind. Um, the, I mean... Yeah, so like I just shared, I am fairly melancholic. For those of you who know what that means, it's like, it's a personality type that tends to, you know, like, maybe prepare for worst case scenario and like, look at the glass half empty sometimes. Um, (laughs) But, uh, so like, I think I would just like say to my husband, like, we were trying to get pregnant. Like, we actually went on pilgrimage asking for the Lord to help us conceive because we weren't conceiving. And so we went on pilgrimage praying like, Lord, we would love a child. If this isn't your will for us, please, um, please show us what you want us to do. And we're we're discerning, like, if we can't conceive, should we be missionaries? Where should we be? Like, um, and so we went to Rome and Assisi um, and then soccer court in Paris as well. And, um, and so, um, but once we conceived, I was like, I was like, we wanted it, but I'm like, life as we know it is gonna end like <laughs> life as we know it is over you know like that would be like this line that would just come out of my mouth so frequently um but now like being on this so the joy like being on this side like I cannot fathom not being a mom mm-hmm. and not having Elijah in my life because he just like his person like just who he is like brings so much good and so much joy one of the things that's been really fun for us is that from very young, from very little on, he had a really good aptitude for sign language. And so he's very strong-willed, but, like, we were able to teach him enough sign early on that he could communicate um, mm. even before he started speaking because he didn't start talking until later. Um, and so it was really good for us just to see, like, how how well he was communicating himself. So, like, and now even friends will comment, like, he's so cute with all of his little signs. Like, because he is so much more observant than I am because I'm a busy mom. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we'll be at the chiropractor's office or we'll be, you know, at the library or we'll be in the car and I'll see him or hear him, like, make a noise and then I'll see him do a sign and I'll be like, there's no, we were at the chiropractor's office. I'm like, there's no bird. Uh, there, where, why are you signing bird? And then up in this painting of a mountain, there was an eagle in the little, like in the corner. Oh my goodness. And so like, he sees these things. Like, I feel like I'm able to enter into his world and his mind because, because he was able to like, um, learn sign language so well. And um, so we're actually, like, thinking, like, maybe we'll raise him bilingual with ASL wow. and um, English. And then a little bit of Spanish, too, because my mom, my husband's mom is from Mexico City. So so we'll see. But but that's been really fun for me because he is really sweet when he does his little signs. He's I love that. Very sweet, yeah. Um, so that's been a joy, just being able to communicate with the person that is Elijah Damiano. And then a struggle for us. Now, obviously, life changes. So two struggles that come to mind the most is that Elijah doesn't sleep very much. Mm. And so a lot of friends have, you know, like, suggested books and, like, sleep against sleep. So maybe he just needs more sleep and then he'll sleep more. But even looking at the books that friends suggest, like, they acknowledge in, like, the first couple chapters that, like, 10% of kids only need, like, 10 hours a day, like, night and nap. 
Sorry about that. That's a card table. <laughs> Sliding along the floor. <laughs> Child's card table from Costco. Yes, there it is. Maybe just let me help him with that. No problem. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to uh, talk about sleep because um, my daughter, uh, Lucy, was had trouble sleeping as well. And she didn't um, start sleeping through the night until she was... Uh, right around two. It was about the time that PJ was born. That's so intense. Yeah. <laughs> and people were, um, people were recommending a lot of books and we've read a lot of books and a lot of articles and we tried different things. And finally, what brought me the most peace was, uh, my pediatrician actually, who was awesome. He's, um, an older man who has kids and grandkids and, um, his philosophy is like, you just got to do what's best for your family, which I love. Yep. <laughs> and so, um, he had said to me, I had mentioned, you know, we're still having trouble getting her to sleep, and she was about two now. And he said, you know, some kids just aren't great sleepers. Mm-hmm. And that brought me so much peace. It's like, okay, it's not a I'm fault not doing in anything your parenting. wrong. Right. It's, you know, like, some kids just don't sleep great. Yeah, yeah. So I know, um, especially for any moms out there who might be listening who maybe are in similar boats yeah. to what Mary or what I've yeah. experienced, just know that, yeah. um, and even to you, Mary, like, eventually – Basically, what my pediatrician said was, eventually she will be sleeping, yeah. but it just might take her a little longer. Some kids, it takes them a little longer to figure it out. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think, too, once we let go of expecta- like expectations that we impose on ourselves from other people, because, you know, the idea is like, oh, kids should go to bed at 730, 8, 830. And so when we would do that, he would wake up in the middle of the night, like, ready to play and, like, <laughs> delightful. So you couldn't be, like, upset with him, but he would be like... I'm ready to play. Like, I'm awake. And what we realized is he was waking up eight hours after we put him to bed. Mm. So if we put him to bed at 8.30, he would wake up at 4.30. And so we had to just readjust. And we put him to bed now at, like, 10, 30, 11. Yeah. And he will sleep eight hours, you know. But it, it, I think for us, it's just, like, letting go of that. Letting go of that, like, thought, like, oh, all of our friends' kids are in bed by 8. Because it is hard. Like, it definitely was a stressor on our marriage because it's, like, yes. you don't have any, like, by the time they go to bed at 10.30, you're exhausted, you know? Right. Or, like, in our situation. And so, uh, so that had just been really hard, like, not having time to, like, clean up the house at night without a, a kid or, like, to talk to your husband or um, to do work that you need to do or what whatnot. So, um, but yeah, so eventually we're just like, we just need to do what's best for our family. And if that's putting our kid to bed at 1030, like we need to not care if people are judging us, like, <laughs> you know? So um, what did, what did that look like then for you and Jonathan with, um, because I know like when our kids are up later, yeah. then it's like, okay, when are we going to have this time together? The two of us yes. <laughs> to be able to just touch base Talks even. Touch yeah, base. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely really hard. We went through a really difficult season mm-hmm. just like, because we've, because we were always with Elijah or sleeping, you know? (laughs) Um, And we're still trying to figure it out, but at one point we were just like, okay, we just need to be really intentional with going out on dates. Mm -hmm. And so we just got more bold with asking people to watch him, you know, like, and just, um, because for Jonathan, he's at work 40 plus hours a week. And so for him too, he wants to spend time with Elijah. So just like making that a priority to be like, okay, no, we're going out on a date and we're still not great at it. Like we need to be more consistent, but having that time where, um, so I think for us, whereas a lot of couples can like have date nights at home after the kids go to bed, like that's just not a reality for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, so we need to be more, we need to be intentional about that. So mm-hmm. 
And we can grow in that for sure. Yes. That's great. That's helpful. And I love what you said about being a little bit more bold and asking people to watch Elijah as well, because I, um, I know for Cameron and I, uh, when we got to the point where we were able to like start asking our friends more, Oh, could we swap like babysitting days or something like that? Um, that was such a, a gift to us and our friends were so gracious and, um, also seeing it as, um, like a ministry opportunity, mm-hmm. like we would love to watch your kids so that you guys can go out on a date. Mm-hmm. Oh, would you mind watching our kids next week? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's just a gift to, especially if you have couples that have kids like around the same age or something mm-hmm. like that. It just ends up being a gift all around. <laughs> so. And in some ways, like watching two is sometimes easier, like for moms that's who true. only have one yeah. right now because, or a second where the child is the second child is too young to play mm-hmm. because I've had several friends be like Mary it's easier when Elijah's here because Elijah plays really well with their number one or their right. only you know and so that's been like really affirming to realize that sometimes you know we put so much pressure on ourselves not to burden other people mm-hmm. uh, and have it all figured out on our own but sometimes when we do step outside of ourselves and like ask for help we're actually blessing other people mm. and like i think we fail to see that all the time like yeah um that in asking we actually can be giving a gift you know not only a gift of ourselves in real life and showing like the needs and struggles in relationship but also just like in ways that we'll not understand so yeah i love that and I love the vulnerability of asking, uh, well, that's kind of a funny way to say it. I don't sometimes like the feel, <laughs> like the feeling mm-hmm. of it, like being able to say, I need help. Um, mm-hmm. Could you help me? But I love what vulnerability does for friendship and mm-hmm. relationships. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I do love it. So mm-hmm. that's great. Um, okay. So turning gears a little bit, I'd yes. love to ask you about the Love and Life Project. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes. Uh, so the love and Lo- so our youth outreach programming. When I was hired, I took on a program that um, had already been existing at our center called Fact Fertility Appreciation for Catholic Teens, and it was a high school um, outreach for just young women, um, and basically like small group of women, and we teach them about um, like sexu- sexuality as God planned it, and dating, and their fertility cycle, and all these things. And so that was what I was hired to do, and then. The more I was expanding the program, I just kept asking for permission to do different outreach programs because, you know, like I wanted to do outreach to young men as well. Um, And so, and then also realizing that the format wasn't reaching as many, um, like it was more of like a discipleship method, if people know what that means. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, maybe some of the kids that had already heard the initial uh, message of chastity and they're like, oh, I want to learn more and like figure out how to implement that into my life and like how to actually live that as a Christian young person. Uh, so, so we started a program called the Love and Life Project, which is basically a movement of young people uh, in in Minnesota that are living as witnesses to authentic love and the beauty of life, specifically through living a life of chastity and being a witness to the life of chastity and specifically saving sexual activity from marriage because it's so countercultural. And a lot of our clients and a lot of the young people we work with just feel like that they don't have witnesses of that. They don't have examples of that. So um, what we do is 
it's kind of like a, bringing in a chastity speaker. So like we're the chastity speaker, but we bring in six young adults, local young adults. So we always take three men and three women. And so the benefits of that is they're getting to see more than one person. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you hear a chastity speaker, it's like, okay, yeah, great. That's, you're the tra- crazy chastity chick, you know, but like, <laughs> um, but it like, who are the, who, you're, no one's really doing this. But when there's six people in front of them that wow, have yeah. made that choice or are making that choice, um, that usually they have a better chance of identifying with one of the six people and their stories and, and the way that their hearts came to this decision. And so, and then also, you know, um, just our attention spans as Americans and as young people are very short now. And so it's just a soundbite culture that we live in. So that way every speaker is only speaking for seven to 10 minutes at a time. So we're mm-hmm. constantly switching speakers and, um, and then that way, like transitioning different um, topics and points and things. Um, and we use a lot of media. So, so we'll go in and we'll do a chastity talk for like 200, 300 kids. Um, and then there's six of us. So they get to see like also how men and women like interact and like in a respectful way and treat one another. So, um, so yeah, the love and life project. So we do chastity talks in a team model format. Yeah. I love that idea of the team. I, I could see how that would be so effective and gives, um, young people an opportunity to, maybe better identify Mm -hmm. with a particular person. That's great. Um, So my next question is just about how we can be life-affirming in our culture. Yeah. Um, Because I I wouldn't use the words life-affirming to describe our culture. So it is, like you said, countercultural. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting because having worked at, like, especially, like, in the office with clients, um, you like you learn so much from them and so much about our culture and so much about what our culture is lacking and how that's affected my parenting and my personhood so like for instance you know like our culture in general is just lacking um, hope and an appreciation for life even amidst the struggle and so I think a lot of times like we use negative humor to escape that in our culture and so you know you'll see a, a mom who's pregnant and you know like Maybe she'll be making jokes about how uncomfortable she is, or um, you'll see a mom with toddlers, and you know the interaction will be very like negative humor between like the person and the parent, and just like but both people are like buying into it, where we don't even realize that subconsciously we're like treating children and lives as an inconvenience and as annoyances, which I mean. <clears throat> being a mom is hard, uh, you know, and being pregnant is not always easy. It's hard. Um, but so for instance, like what that, cause that's like very theoretical, but like practically what that looks like for me is like when people ask in the store, you know, um, like if Elijah is with us and they're like, Oh, like how old is he? You know? And, Oh, he's two, you know, Oh, terrible twos, you know, like, and even that, you know, be, be able to say like, yeah, like every person has their bad days, but he, like, he is just a great kid, like, he's a mm-hmm. great person, you know, so, like, when, when we're talking to strangers specifically, or people that we know peripherally, to try to be positive, um, and, and there are safe places to vent our frustrations, and to process through our struggles of motherhood, um, with our close friends, and with our family, right, um, but to resist the temptation of the enemy to do that in public, I think wow, is yeah. a really like subtle way that as Christian mothers we can live uh, like we can build a culture of life and a culture that's life affirming and even to like a lot of with the second pregnancy people have been like oh I bet you're having a girl so you guys can be done you know and 
and the response is just like, oh, you know, like, we'll be excited whether it's a boy or a girl. There's pros or cons, you know, both ways to having to having a girl next. Uh, but we're excited to just see how many children God has for us, you know. And, and just, again, like, sharing from my own personal, you know, like, your own personal instead of just being like, well, that's a, like that's a ridiculous idea, you know, because like we live in a culture where it's like one boy, one girl. Um, so just taking every opportunity, especially I think when we're pregnant and we have small children, like a lot of times that's like an open door to be evangelistic about the culture of life Mm. because we can, you know, like, and if they're having a terrible moment in the grocery store, you know, like, yes, we can acknowledge like, yeah, he's having a rough day. And like, I have rough days too. And I'm still so grateful for him, you know, like, because that gives people permission to, like, look outside of the inconvenience, you know. So I think just that. Um, so that's one way we can be life-affirming just as moms. Mm. Um, I, I love that. And I think, um, I know I'm guilty of that. I fall into the tendency of, like, uh, the hardships come to mind first sometimes. Yeah. So, like, that's what I want to share. But um, I do, um, I remember someone telling me once, uh, she had, um, you know, quite a few kids and, um, people would always say, oh, your hands are so full or they would just make that comment about her hands being full. And she said she got into the habit of saying, my heart is even fuller. Mm. And so I've been trying to remember that and respond that way when Mm -hmm. people say that to me, even with my two children, they say, Mm -hmm. looks like you got your hands full. And I try to remember to respond in a way that says, yeah, but my heart is so full Mm -hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, I love that. And I think uh, the tendency maybe when women get pregnant is to share, like, all the <laughs> the hardships of, like, mm-hmm. pregnancy and labor and delivery mm-hmm. and um, and motherhood. Like, you're never going to get any sleep. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I, unfortunately, people don't really talk about um, how happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> how happy you'll be and yep. how happy your life is when you have, yep. when you have children, even amidst the hard times. Yep. Um, like choosing joy and just experiencing joy and happiness in your home mm-hmm. with the, the life of, of children. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. And we've had clients tell us, like clients who have chosen to parent their ch- children come back, you know, because we would try to build a relationship and they come back for material goods and like diapers and wipes and clothes. And, and they'll tell us like a year or two years later, like my, like keeping my daughter saved my life. Like mm-hmm. my daughter saved my life because of whatever destructive patterns they were in before. Like, as women, like, once we make the decision to live for another, like, it's sometimes easier mm-hmm. to make better decisions. And not always, but um, but even just that reality that, like, that, like, wow, like, having a child can change our lives for the good. And to see that, like, we struggle to realize that in day-to-day as Christians, but, like, here are these completely secular women that have very little support, very little formation or faith, you know, um, but they can objectively see that, like, this person, like, saved them, you know, Mm -hmm. and, like, changed their life for the good, so. That's beautiful. Um, Also, in regards to engaging the culture, um, how how would you recommend speaking with people who are um, pro-abortion, maybe friends or family, um, in a way that's... uh, not hostile or <laughs> condemning. <laughs> um, do you have any experience with that or any recommendations? Great. Like, this is probably, like, the question that I think is, like, most difficult to answer because 
people are so unique and relationships are so unique and mm-hmm. relationships tend to have a lot of baggage um, and history. So like, especially when we ask like how to engage family, like yeah, there's so much there that I think the number one thing I would suggest is just to like pray about it like 10 times as much as we speak <laughs> about it, you know, just to pray a ton um, for that discernment. But I think um, something that's always really good, at least like for me, who is a really strong Christian Catholic, um, is that to like when I when a conversation does come up, to be able to explain that for me it's more than just a moral conversation. Like, you know, if you like if you want to have a conversation about this, I would I would love to share with you like my thoughts. Um, and for me, it's like I'm not here to condemn you or judge you, like because it's more than a moral conversation for me. Mm. And so, so with that, because because I know so much about like the effects of abortion on women's lives, both like the objective research and the subjective things I've seen, um, just to be able to share like this is affecting people's health. It's a, you know emotionally and physically, um, and so it's bigger than just like this is not right or this is wrong, you know? Um, so, so I think that can be helpful. Um, and there's a really great documentary that's, I think you can watch it online. It's called Hush. And essentially, um, she's pro-choice, the woman who made it, but when she started learning the research that there's a link between abortion and cancer, she started like trying to do more research and interview, different organizations and different doctors and like everyone was shooting her down and so the fact that no one was willing to talk about it made her realize that there was like actual like substance to it Wow! and so she still says like at the end of the documentary that I think she still says that she you know I'm still pro-choice and I think that something is very disordered in the fact that we're hiding hmm. all this information from people like what it, like basically what is the what is the motivation to not give this true information out, you know? Um, so I think, and again, just knowing, you know, um, there's so many things I could say, but it just like really comes down to the individual person. Then the other thing I would just always remind people to be aware of is like, you may be speaking to someone who has had an abortion, you know, like whether they're family, friends, or a stranger. So to always, um, always remind them that like, you know, that, that, there's healing. You don't even need to say like God forgives you because if they're not coming from a Christian perspective, that could also alienate them. But to say like there's deeper healing because a lot of times like people become so bitter and hostile because they're still hurting so much, um, but they don't want to admit that they are because they they're just hurting, you know. And so, so that there's deeper healing. Um, so to be able to even say like without knowing if the person has to even be able to say, you know. Um, you know, like, well, I don't judge women who, you know, I don't judge women who have had abortions. Like, that's not my job to judge them, you know, like, but I desire for them healing and wholeness if it's something they're still struggling with. And so, mm. you know, because we know that a lot of women struggle with post-abortive stress syndrome or, you know, like, still have a hard time processing the decision that they made, like, we want them to be well. We want them to be healed. And so I think once they realize that we're pro-woman, like, like, we love people, you know, like, we're pro-woman and we're pro-child, you know, um, but that helps break down some of the hostility, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think, to a certain extent, family and friends, it's such a hard, not that we can remain silent, but to speak 
without the prompting of the Holy Spirit can do more damage than good. Mm-hmm. So sometimes remaining silent is what the Lord is asking of us. So to just discern, because I think for those of us who really want to like, who are very passionate and like want to be evangelists or want to speak the truth. I, my husband always tells me like, you're just a lover of truth. And sometimes that gets you in trouble, <laughs> you know, like, and so yeah. to realize that like, what is going to communicate God's love and mercy and what we believe and what we believe to be true the most. And sometimes that's remaining silent and them seeing us have children and them seeing us be benefactors of a a pro-life organization or them seeing us be anti-contraception or whatever, like whatever our decisions are, we can share from our own personal experience and that witness is going to share too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to make a difference. So that's beautiful. I love that. Well, I have a few more questions for you, if you okay. don't mind. Yes, no, I don't um, mind. What would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Okay, so um, so I would like to answer, um, we have like a prayer room or a chapel in our house. I love that. And we like, it was a very specific choice on our part. Like we're like, okay, normal people use this for storage. They don't have junk everywhere. Or like normal people would use this for like a third bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, we felt really strongly about having a chapel. And so that, like, I want that to be my answer. But the reality of life right now is that, like, oh, my husband just remodeled the downstairs bathroom. And so all of the project supplies are, like, in the chapel. Sure. And so we haven't used the chapel for, like, a month. And so, like, just that reality of life. Like, this is what I'd like my answer to be. <laughs> and this is the reality of my yeah. answer. Um, so, so my answer right now is our bed. Yeah. Because someone... <laughs> Um, gave us this, uh, my husband lived with a family before we were married and they have six kids and the mom was like, don't spare an expense when you're buying your bed because we didn't have a bed that like we both had twin beds before we got married. And so, um, so our bed is the only piece of furniture in our house that has not been inherited or given to us. And we bought a king bed and cause we had the space for it and, we were just like, this is expensive, but we're going to do it and we're going to buy a nice bed that's going to be comfortable. And so just the reality that if you're not sleeping well, like you can't be the best version of yourself. And also like we actually co-sleep. And so, um, so yeah, they just even said like, if you're even considering like letting your kids come in your bed once in a while, like that gets crowded real fast, you know? So, um, so they just really encouraged us to consider getting a king bed. And I'm so grateful that we have one and like if I think about my house right now I'm like where do I want to spend like 15 minutes alone <laughs> like our bed like yeah. you know so I um, love that and what great advice that they that they said don't if you're gonna not spare an expense on something let it be you yeah. know your bed yeah it was really great advice because I don't think we would have made that decision without um their counsel and their wisdom of having been married for 20 years and having so many kids so so that was really wise. I love that. Do you have a particular mattress that you uh, really recommend or is it just... We do. Like, my husband would know better because he's, like, the one that researches everything. But it's a hybrid. So it's, like, oh. it has springs, but it's also, like, has some memory foam in it. So it's kind of, like, because oh, I've heard, like, one or the other, like, there's pros and cons to both. So it's a hybrid. So who knows how that'll be, like, 20 years down the line. Yeah. But four years into being used, it's still a phenomenal mattress. Great. Um, <laughs> So we really love that about it. Great. Yeah. Um, so then my next question is, uh, what is something that you're loving recently besides oh, the bed? Yeah, besides my bed. Okay, so something that I'm loving. Well, 
this pregnancy, I've really been craving sushi a lot. Oh. Which I like sushi in general, but when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to have, like, you don't eat raw meat, you're supposed to eat raw meat. Right. So there's, like, one thing on the menu I can order, like, anything that's, like, cooked, you know? Um, but I still have been eating a ton of sushi, and it's been bringing me great joy. And um, just giving myself permission to, like, find joy in that um, has been really good. And then I also... Um, have really enjoyed. We found this little church in the middle of nowhere, um, out kind of in the country. Because for me, like living in the city, is hard sometimes. And so, just giving myself permission. So I found this little church because uh, I had a work meeting out there a couple years ago, and just really went to pray afterwards in their little like chapel, and really experienced the Lord there. And like probably the best prayer that I had had in a long time. And so felt like the Lord was asking me to come out there on a regular basis to like kind of have retreat retreat time and get out of the city. And um, I had found the church right after we got back from our pilgrimage to Italy. And when we were in Assisi and we fell in love with Assisi, which is this like 12th century town is beautiful and quiet and quaint and peaceful. Um, and the name of the church is St. Francis of Assisi. Oh. And so um, they have a prayer day every first Friday out there where the chapel is open and people can just come and pray and there's adoration going on. So um, Jesus is exposed in the Eucharist. And so we've been going out, Elijah and I have been going out um, every first Friday. And it's just been such a joy because the little elderly people that are there with us, they love Elijah and they don't care that he runs around. Um, <laughs> so great. just getting to like be out of the city and then we'll like go for a walk because it's along the Mississippi River and like there's trees and, <laughs> and wilderness. So I've really been loving like giving myself permission to drive 30 minutes to just be out of the city for a day mm-hmm. um, and having time to pray and think. And so that's another thing I've been really enjoying. I really love that. That's great. And then my last question for you is, um, have there been any mom hacks or anything that's uh, making your life a little easier right now? Oh, that's a great question. So we travel a ton, especially in the summer, uh, because my family owns a cabin. And so it's like, for those of you who live in the Midwest and know cabin culture, like in the summer, a lot of times families will just be up at the cabin as many weekends Mm -hmm. as possible. Uh, And so we travel so much that like, it was a game changer when I finally just like opened Excel, made a packing list with like, there's a list for Jonathan, there's a list for me, there's a list for like Elijah's main bag and then like an in-car bag and or a diaper bag, you know, whatever people want to call it. And then, um, and printed it and put it in a plastic like pr- page protector and just use a dry erase marker. Like, it just game changer for me. Like, because even, like, I w- every time I would do it on my phone, I'd, re- like, kind of remake the list. But, like, having it just printed for me, like, printed and in the plastic um, has been so good. Like, that's my biggest mom hack for people that stress out when they travel. And because packing is intense. <laughs> I love that. And especially if you're doing it frequently. frequently. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think that's a great tip. It's so. made our life a lot more effective. Awesome. Um, and then I thought of one other thing that I wanted to share. Yeah, if please that's okay. do. Please do. So you asked a question about like what have been some of the biggest struggles. And so like leave it to the melancholic like <laughs> over here to be like, wait, there's more I need to share about the hard things. Um, but the reason I want to share it is because um, because I had never heard of it before. Mm. So after Elijah was born, we found out that I have a condition. I 
it's pretty certain that I have a condition called insufficient glandular tissue. Mm. It's, they call it IGT for short. Okay. And so we live in this culture where like breast is best and breastfeeding is like there's such a focus on breastfeeding. And I think too, like just living in the culture where, you know, like, oh, we will things like you put your mind to it, push through breastfeeding the first two weeks and like you got, you're, you're fine. Just push through, suffer it and get through. Um, and because I had that mentality, my son dropped so much weight because we didn't realize how dehydrated he was. Mm. So, um, uh, you can tell I'm pregnant because I'm just so emotional. About it. <laughs> um, okay. but so that we worked really closely with a lactation specialist and, um, and she just at some point was like, Mary, like, I'm pretty sure this is what's going on. And like, you've tried everything you can, like you, you've done everything. Um, and your supply is just not changing. And so, you know, you need to figure out how we're gonna, you know, fed is best. And so I think, you know, for those moms who breastfeeding isn't working for whatever reason, or, you know, maybe that mom that has five and just like, cannot figure out how to, you know, or even two and emotionally can't figure out how to feed number three at breast, you know, like to give ourselves permission to be like, okay, fed is best. And for those moms who, cause I think a lot of well-meaning breastfeeding enthusiasts mm-hmm. um, do not acknowledge IGT or don't just don't know about it because a lot of the research is really new. Um, that can do a lot of harm because mm-hmm. I talked even to a lot of friends who like kind of thought that I was making it up to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so like, it's already been like, on my mind obviously with number two and they basically have said like this is the way to know for sure if you have this condition because you know if if the same thing happens with number two then like that's what's going on Mm -hmm. because essentially like I just can't make enough milk so I would for a long time I pumped um like eight times a day and the most milk I ever got was eight ounces in one day oh wow and so like at some point you just have to acknowledge like that's a very small amount (laughs) amount of food (laughs) that my body's making um so I just wanted to share that because like I never anticipated that struggle being a mom and just in case there are other moms that like might have IGT but maybe even their lactation specialist didn't know about it because our lactation specialist was like I know about this but I don't know a lot so she did a ton of research um because it's very new so like the understanding of it is very new so it was a huge struggle just wanted to share just in case other moms um might experience in the future or have experienced it uh because it was a really difficult thing so i'm really glad you did share that because i think there is um there's a tendency to become so um enthusiastic about something to become an advocate for whatever it is that sometimes I I know even for myself that we can become blind to like other options and other things and I love what you said about uh, fed is best and um, even if it's not how we not what we expected or how we intended yeah or hoped yeah I know with um, my daughter she was born with something called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia and um, so we weren't really sure. really if she was going to make it to be honest and um in addition to that we weren't sure what feeding was going to look like so um lucy was um, iv fed and um, bottle fed and and i was able to nurse eventually which i which was great um but i think there might be um 
I don't know if it's a, a stigma or kind of like taboo <laughs> that there's only one way to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Like this is how your child should sleep. This is how they should eat. And yeah. so um, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. And I think that will be an encouragement to other moms who might be um, maybe facing similar situations or maybe it's with a different topic, but mm-hmm. feel kind of isolated in that to, to know um, that it's okay if things turn out different than you hoped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. So... Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for Mary and her willingness to share her life with us. And Lord, we thank you for all of the women listening today. I pray that um, in their struggles today, um, as a wife and as a mother, uh, that you would give them the grace that they need, the perseverance that they need, Um, and the rest that they need, even if that might not be physical rest. Lord, I pray that we may, we may find rest in you, and um, that we may choose joy today. Uh, Lord, we, we love you, and we offer our days to you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Hi friends, thanks so much for listening in. Mary has sent me some awesome resources, which I'm going to link to in the show notes of today's episode at diapersanddisciples.com. And she's also given me some ways that you can contact her directly uh, if you wanted to speak with her about anything we chatted about in today's episode. I hope this episode brought you some peace and encouragement for your day. I loved what Mary was sharing at the end of this episode about how Certain aspects of motherhood are sometimes not what we hoped. (laughs) So whether you are working today and would rather be home with your kids or your child won't fall asleep in the crib (laughs) or you're just not liking motherhood (laughs) as much as you thought, I hope you find some peace knowing you are not alone in this journey. This week, let's ask the Lord to help us see his will and purpose in our vocation and bring peace to our mother's hearts. You are loved and seen and known by the God of the universe. Until next time, you're in my prayers. God bless.